Welcome to another Mother Runner. This is Sarah Bowen Shea. I'm joined today by Liz Waterstrat. Hello, Liz. Hi, Sarah. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How's how's everything in Portland? Oh, it's good. It's good. Can I share my uh, latest found change thrill with you? Oh, I've been waiting. <laughs> been I've been sitting here waiting. <laughs> so, all right. So, you know, I have found lots of change out on runs, but I had a first over the weekend. I found change while I was swimming in the pond. Okay, you're going to have to explain that one. <laughs> so, so at the pond where I swim, there's a man-made, a person, human-made sandy beach and then there's also two kind of docks, not quite um big enough word, I don't know, just outcroppings where people can go fishing. And from one of those, there's a couple stairs that go down into the pond and they're made of cement. And so as I was coming out of the pond, I was walking up those stairs and there's, I don't know, there's two or three of them. I looked down, I'm like, that's either a bottle cap or a quarter. Oh, it was, <laughs> it was a quarter. And then on the first step out of the water was a bright and shiny penny. Wow. Yeah. You sound thrilled. I can tell. <laughs> Well, it's just, it's, it's unusual and only you would spot that. <laughs> it's right. And then, and then the very next day in almost the exact same spot, there was another quarter. So I think I had missed oh, it. From- somebody's leaving you breadcrumbs. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> so, so that was very exciting, particularly because I had a very, very weak June. I only found 41 cents. So already by, you know, as we record this by um, July 4th, I'd found more money than I had in all of June. Yes. Yes. And then I had another, perhaps more universally deemed exciting event while I was swimming yesterday. So again, on July 4th, we're, we're recording this on July 5th. So I'm out there swimming. And usually I don't take any pauses. I just, you know, put my head down literally and do my swim and then walk up those steps and hopefully find money. So I'm out there in kind of this, what is almost like if a pond can have a corner, that's where I was. And Mm -hmm. I'm, and it's, I don't know, I just find it the most enchanting part of the pond. And so I just kind of want to take in my surroundings. I stopped and I look up and there is a bald eagle doing circles in the sky, oh. not very high above me. Not a vulture? Not a, not a no, vulture. A, a bald eagle complete with the white bald head. Eagle. It was uh, and nice. on the 4th of July. I mean, come on. Like, oh. that was pretty amazing. That was pretty amazing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is neat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, woman, did you do any gardening over the weekend? Because from your Instagram account, you, I, you just have the most lovely garden. Thank you. Yeah. I'm always, I'm always, always out there doing something. Uh, it's, it's the best part of the year. Yeah. Yeah. So, so tell us how you find time and energy to garden because, you know, you are a very avid athlete. You have a thriving coaching practice. You're the mom of three kids. And I just, I don't know. I get back from my workout and all these great ideas I had for stuff to do in my garden just are like, I'm too tired to do it. Well, gardening is is a big investment up front. So, you know, you're out there in the spring, you're getting everything ready. And then in May, there's a there's a day where I spend the entire day going to garden centers and planting everything. But then beyond that, it's just a little bit of upkeep every day. Mm -hmm. You know, it's kind of like your house. It's like the inside of your house. (laughs) If you just left it, and said, well, I'm going to get to that and clean it at the end of the month. 
it would take you so much time versus just going out there just a little bit every day. You pull some weeds, you pick off some of the dead flower heads. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, and then, you know, you get to a point too, where it just kind of manages itself. Uh, so really all I do is I go out there and, and water, pick some weeds, you know, pick up some pine cones, that kind of stuff. Mm. But it, it really, it's it's what I do to start my everyday. I love it. Mm. It's so pretty. I mean, your potted plants in particular, I just adore them. And and you're, what, I mean, what do you kind of call those? Like you have like a little, you know, sign that says peace and little, you know, <laughs> like, I don't know, the accoutrements in your garden are very <laughs> charming to me. <laughs> it's just, it's garden art. It's, it's garden the, art. Uh, okay. the pro yeah, it's the product of going to, all of these garden centers all over where we live. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, you know, my, my mom and I enjoy driving long distances to these places and they, they all, they all offer something a little different. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You pick up a sign that says peace or a rock that says something else. Yes. Oh, you do have the very pretty painted rocks that have kind of, are, those aren't Mandela's on them. What, what, what? Well, they kind of are. Mm -hmm. um, those are, that was my pandemic project oh. was, yeah. So my kids and I would go to the DuPage River and collect rocks uh -huh. and then I would paint them and decorate them. <gasps> um, so, oh my yeah. gosh, you did those. Oh my gosh. There's a woman here in Portland who does them. And occasionally I'll run past, a, um, you know, someone who has a lot of them in their yard and I just marvel at them. So, but, oh my gosh, the, I mean, talk about time and energy that just takes a lot of patience it actually doesn't. So huh. it's not as it's not once you get the hang of it. And if you have the right supplies, you know, each rock might take about 10 minutes to paint. Uh -huh. You know, you have to put down there's a whole process. But uh -huh. um, but just to decorate it, you know, once you have a pattern in mind, or I do I look up the little are they called mandalas? I think you're saying it better than I am. Yes. Oh, mm -hmm. Okay. Yep. Mm -hmm. So if you just search rock mandalas, you get all mm. of these patterns. I mean, people do it. They make mine look completely amateur, but <laughs> I can at least get the idea of some patterns. And then I just do my best and I just sit out there at night in the summer and, and it's just my thing I do. Oh, that is lovely. Well, I think we're going to have to share a photo on our Instagram account of what I'm talking about because sure. of what we're talking about, because I'm just... I'm just further now in awe of your of your garden and its art and uh, the you. the beauty that you help add to this world. So thank oh. you. <laughs> well, it's just my yard. Please don't join me. Like one of my neighbors the other day just kind of walked over. She's like, I hope you don't mind me joining you. And I'm like, well, <laughs> sort of I do. <laughs> Did you say that to her? No. Nobody ever just walks onto my patio, but she did. She just wanted to talk to me about something, but it was kind of funny because I was like, did you not see the invisible fence? <laughs> Do not enter. <laughs> There's an introvert sitting in here. I was about to say, introvert crossing. <laughs> oh my gosh. I, um, I had a tiny taste of what you're doing. Our across the street neighbors have gone away for a long weekend and they asked me to water their potted plants that are in their yard or in their garden. So after my run today, I went over there and my, I changed into my flip-flops and went over and watered their stuff. And it is very tranquil and just um, soothing to do that. Yes. Yes. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, today you and I are talking to Callie Vinson, an ultra runner who advocates for body diversity and inclusivity within outdoor sports. Callie is a member of the Choctaw community. She lost more than 200 pounds 
When she started running, the scale read 377 pounds and she ran once around the block in the dark as she didn't want anyone to see her. Callie just took part in the venerable Western States 100 Ultra Marathon, which we will hear details about. Callie's a resident of Scottsdale, Arizona. She's also the mother of an adorable 14-year-old dog. Thank you so much for joining us, Callie. We're really excited to talk to you. Awesome. Yes, thank you for having me. I'm pretty excited to be here. So Callie, take us back to the start of your running and share a little bit about what got you moving. Yeah. So, I mean, I started running because I hated running, <laughs> um, <laughs> which is oddly enough. But yeah, when I started running, it was more just something that I was trying at the start of my, I guess, you call it wellness, health, weight loss journey. But at the time, I was about 377 pounds and I was trying to find something that would stick and something that would be that that solution. And I, I've always hated running. When I was a kid, I'd play sports that required the least amount of it. So I played soccer, but I was the goalie because I could just stay in the back. And then I was a rower on a rowing team because uh, you're in a boat. <laughs> and I had moved to Chicago with all these huge dreams and, you know, so much that I wanted to conquer. And in my mind, if I could conquer running, I felt like I could conquer anything. Mm. It was kind of trial and error at the beginning. I had no idea what I was doing. I was wearing probably all cotton. Uh, I had a sling fanny pack as my hydration vest. (laughs) And when I ran, I would just run until it felt like I couldn't run anymore. And one mile became two miles, two became four, then eventually just a half marathon around my neighborhood. And shortly after that, I learned about the Chicago Marathon being the following year. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to do it. So I signed up with a charity group in Chicago called Team Paws and fundraise for them, got into the Chicago Marathon that way, did the marathon, finished, uh, felt awful, but I was immediately hooked. <laughs> and, you know, of course, you know, you do one marathon, you got to do another one, you got to do something else to just keep it going. And maybe a couple of months after that, I learned about ultra marathons. And oddly enough, it was the Western States 100 was my first introduction to ultra and trail running. And I was just so just blown away by what people were doing out there on trail, no sleep for a hundred miles. It just sounded crazy, but I just had to get into it. And so that just kind of became the the catalyst for me going after a 50 miler, a hundred miler, and eventually the Moab 240. Um, but yeah, that's, that's my running journey, I guess, in a nutshell. <laughs> mm. So what made you want to go from roads to trails? I mean, you, you suggested that it, it sounded a little crazy, but any, <laughs> anything beyond that that in, intrigued you or drew you to it? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, when I was a kid, I had a vivid, I guess, I, you know, I'm still a kid at heart, a vivid imagination. And I love to play outside. I was always pretending to be an animal, like out in the wilderness, like, I don't know, creating weird scenarios in my backyard as a kid, just like going on little adventures, little escapes, building like a little hut in the back corner of the backyard, just weird, random things. But <laughs> I'll say that I just loved being outside. And anytime I got a chance to go visit family in like Mississippi, we would, my sister and I, we would just find any excuse to go outside and wander around and explore. And so I've just always had this curiosity for the outdoors. And I love being in it. I love getting dirty and playing with bugs and all that good stuff. And so when I learned that people were running in nature, I was just like, can I really bridge these two things that I'm starting <laughs> that I've loved forever and I'm just now learning to love? And so that just became something I had to experience or I had to test out or, or see what it was all about. And of course, you know, when you go from road to trail running, there are so many things to learn um, because it is a very 
a different uh, type of running, but I loved it and I haven't looked back. Though I will say I still love road running. I love flat, just boring sidewalks. You can turn your brain off, listen to music and just go. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that leads right into my next question because I did notice that you run with headphones, which you don't very often, or I don't very often see people who run trails. So mm-hmm. I, I always run with music podcasts or an audio book. So what do you typically listen to when you run? Yeah. I mean, I love having a party in my head. <laughs> um, so I, I'm always listening to something very upbeat. I love electronic music. I love remixes. I love just all that music that you would find, you know, at a late night club in San Francisco or something. <laughs> so imagine that, but that's going on in my head while I'm, you know, on the sidewalk or a treadmill or a trail. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Though I will say in the summer in Phoenix, I listen to a lot le- less music because I have to be so aware of rattlesnakes. And the only way <gasps> that you can tell that they're around you is if you hear them. So I usually opt out of my headphones you know, during the middle of the day when it's really hot and there might be snakes, but otherwise I'm definitely listening to music. <laughs> oh boy. Wow. That's oh, yeah. a unique reason not to be listening to something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, snakes. <laughs> yeah. Snakes that bite and are poisonous. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So please tell us more about your weight loss journey. I, I read on your Instagram account about how you used to run to eat and that it took you to an unhealthy place and now you mm-hmm. need to run. Yeah, definitely. So uh, for most of my life, I would say I just had a very unhealthy relationship with food. As a kid and growing into my teenage years and adult years, it was always this like pleasure. It was always a treat. It was always the reward. And it was never enough either. I just, you know, I had holes to fill in my heart. So I turned to food for that. And so as I started getting more and more into running, I realized that I wanted to pursue this and and do better at that. And one way that I could, probably a key way, is by learning to fuel myself properly, not for just running itself, but, you know, just for life too. And with running, I started to become even more aware of my body and how my body was feeling and how it reacted to a run or how it reacts to certain foods. And so I just became almost hyper aware of everything that I started putting into my body I started researching everything more. I started learning about food and the value of it and how it was almost like a superpower if you if you let it be. And that became just very interesting and fascinating to me. And so I started healing this relationship with food, seeing seeing it as something that was powerful for me in pursuing this idea of running. But back to my relationship with food, I've I've gone from one end of the spectrum to just overeating to the other to undereating, giving myself maybe, you know, 900 calories a day when I'm running 10 miles, you know, Mm. three times a week, it was both ends of the spectrum. But since then, I've I've discovered a better relationship with food and, and a balance and a sustainable way of eating. And I'm glad because it's allowed me to pursue 100 milers or 200 milers. And had I not healed those relationships, I wouldn't be able to to continue to do this. So what advice would you have for anyone out there who's looking to lose weight? How would you suggest they get started? Yeah, for me, it was, and I, I, I tried everything. I, I tried all the diets, the, um, you know, just different eating styles. And for me, what became most successful was just making small attainable goals. So in the very beginning, 
my my one little goal was just making my lunch every day and just not eating out or not getting fast food, but instead grocery shopping to make my lunch. And so that became something that I tried to make a habit for, you know, about two weeks. And then after those two weeks, then I added another small little goal and made that maybe that was making my breakfast. And then after two or so weeks, once I got that nailed down, I was making my breakfast and my lunch. Then it was, okay, let's make your dinner. And through this, I started to learn, like I was mentioning before, just, you know, the value of food and the different kinds of food that I, I liked and didn't realize that I liked and different ways that you can put it together. I always found that interesting. Like, because you put this sauce with these two things, it becomes this genre of food versus this other. So I don't know it was just something that was, uh, that could be creative for me. And I'm a very creative spirit, I guess, but yeah, food was always fun for me, even when I was unhealthy and, and it became fun in a different way. And then I was learning about it. I would say anyone who's out there looking to lose weight or gain a better relationship with food, start with small goals because it's kind of like, it's kind of like ultra running. Like you're going from aid station to aid station. You're not looking at it going start to finish. You're just trying to get to that next aid station and then to the next. So it's, it's kind of the same way in that you're picking up these small goals to then reach that bigger goal at the end. Mm, I love that analogy <laughs> of going from aid station to aid station. Definitely. <laughs> so, so speaking of your weight loss and Instagram, as I said, that's where I saw that great quote of yours from before. I love how often you post photos that showcase your physique and you seem rightly proud of the loose excess skin mm-hmm. on your abdomen in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, could you talk a bit about that? Because I mean, first of all, I love the photos on your Instagram account that <laughs> you take them from very interesting angles and perspectives and backgrounds. And but just also, you don't, you know, I think so much of Instagram is perfection, mm-hmm. and you, you know, you show the the loose skin and the the wrinkles and the mm-hmm. you know your arm flapping. So instead of it mm-hmm. looking like that taut, you know, yeah. So mm-hmm. I'll let you talk. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I started doing that as a almost a way to just like heal myself or heal my uh, perspective of myself because for so long and a lot of this was just developed, you know, when I was in a very unhealthy relationship uh, with myself before, whether that was like with my body or food. But I, like you said, I saw everything as needing to be perfected or it had to look perfect or, you know, if your body didn't look like this or it couldn't do this, you didn't, for instance, didn't fit in the running industry. And over the years, I've just realized from either being in races or going into running groups that none of us are perfect. (laughs) Like none of us have, even, you know, models have those, what we consider little imperfections. And I think it's wonderful, like that we're all different because I always say like, how boring would life be if we all looked the same way, if we all had the same running pace or we all dressed the same way? I think there's just something so interesting in us all having very different bodies and um, embracing them and appreciating them. And it doesn't have to be appreciating them for what they look like, but more so what they can do. I'm trying to tell people like, no matter you know what you look like, what your arms look like, your stomach looks like, you can do great things. Like that body that I, that I post that ran a 240 mile race. It took 109 hours, but it got it done. Um, <laughs> it can do 100. It can do a 5K. It can do a half marathon. But I'm I'm trying to inspire people to look at themselves differently and and not feel like they have to look perfect or they have to look a certain way or or any of that. But I think the more and more that we put those visuals or that representation out in the world, 
the more normal bodies are seen as normal bodies. Mm -hmm. Fabulous. All right, we're going to take a break to hear from the brands that let us bring you this free content. Please support them like they support us. We'll be back shortly. Before we get to that Western States 100, tell us about that 240-mile race you did in Moab, Utah. Yeah, so that a 200 has always been on my radar because it kind of celebrates, you know, 200 miles for 200 pounds lost. And I first attempted this goal, I guess, a couple months before Moab last year, but I went after the Cocodona 250 and I fell short at mile one. 30, I think, yeah, around mile 130 because of some severe stomach issues that I had been experiencing almost since the start of the race. And I decided to, to just drop for medical reasons, but I, I was still adamant about going after this goal. And so I was signed up for the Moab 240 in October and I was, you know, training for it and doing all I could to kind of figure out these stomach issues. And we never really found a solution by the time the race started. So by mile uh, 70 in the race of Moab, like those st same stomach issues were very, very well present. <laughs> um, and I, I wanted to drop at mile 70, but my crew, my boyfriend, uh, Scott, he would not let that happen. Um, and I said, fine. And I kept going for <laughs> the next however so many miles. And you know, I probably had maybe like a tortilla in my stomach at all times because I just my it just was not participating those four days. But after yeah, 109 hours, eight hours of sleep total, uh, got 240 miles done. <laughs> wow! All right, so now let's just talk about that little hundred miler, the Western States 100. <laughs> yes. So it's it sounds like you got thwarted by snow. Oh my gosh! Yes. Yeah. So. <laughs> The Western States is known for being a very hot race. Um, not as hot as Badwater, which is happening right now, but it is very hot in the canyons, which are in during the middle of the day, which is also the hottest part of the day. So I did a lot of heat training as most, I hope most uh, Western States runners do. And I live in Phoenix, so I'm lucky in that heat training is right outside your front door. So I did lots of heat training, <laughs> lots of hill training, because also in the Western States 100, there's about 17 or 18,000 feet of climb and 23-ish thousand feet of descent. So it is a net downhill course, um, but there is a lot of climbing as well. So I made sure to check all those boxes and I had a great coach coaching me all the way. Again, my partner, Scott. And the one thing that I could not <laughs> um, account for or train for was the snow and ice. And a lot of people know that there was just a lot of snow this past year, especially around Lake Tahoe. They say, you know, unprecedented numbers. And there was snow for probably the first 21-ish miles, I would say. And it wasn't just like nice fluffy snow. This was, I like to just put it out there. It looked like uh, if you took a skating, ice skating rink and you just put hills and steep descents and steep <laughs> climbs on that ice skating rink. And then you put a little like quarter inch layer of slushy, slippery snow. That's, that's what we were running on. Mm. And so I can't tell you how many times I either had to butt slide down a hill, you know, like a 20 foot hill and just hope for the best. Or how many times I, I fell on my hips and um, I got a snow burn on my knees, but I just could not run or shuffle fast enough 
to get to the Duncan Canyon aid station. And so I got my uh, bracelet cut cut because I missed the cutoff time there, mm-hmm. which was such a shame because my legs felt great. Uh, nutrition was going well, which has never happened in my life. Um, but I just could not move fast enough on snow. <laughs> I look, I look like Bambi as, as well as a lot of people did or fish out of water on the snow. <laughs> it wow. was definitely an interesting year for the race. That's for sure. Wow. And were you able to have some sort of traction devices on your, on the no. bottom of your shoes? Mm-mm. So on the Western States course, you can't have spikes. You can't have Catulas. You can't, yeah. you can't have poles either. So no, uh, aid whatsoever, what they, <gasps> what they say. So I couldn't have anything. It was just my shoes. <laughs> oh so, boy. Oh yeah. my there gosh. Were, oh, there were some parts where it got, it got sketchy. Cause if you didn't slide in the right direction, you would have just continued down the mountain. So, <laughs> you know, that happened maybe There's that. eight times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. There, was, there was this one section where they, I guess the day before they had to go out on the trail and carve like a bench or a ledge into the snow. Cause it was this steep drop off, but that's where the trail was. Then you had to cut across the, the steep drop off. So they, they shoveled out a, like a ledge and at the previous aid station, they said, when you get to this spot, there's going to be a marshal there helping you across. But because I got there so late, there was no one there. Mm. <laughs> so you get there and you're just like, all right, well, let's just hope for the best here. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And thankfully, nothing happened. I don't I don't think it, so. I've heard I haven't um, heard of anything bad happening because of those sections. But it was definitely a survival skill mm. put to the test. <laughs> Yeah, my gosh, it sounds more like summiting Everest instead of running the Western States 100. Wow. It felt like it at times. <laughs> yeah, like going, <laughs> up, going up the the Hillary steps or something like that. Wow. Yeah. And it was such a shame, too, because right before that last aid station, the snow was finally letting up. And I was finally running on that uh, wonderful, beautiful trail that everyone talks about and it was just so lush and so beautiful and out here in phoenix you're just used to running on rocks or uh dodging rocks more like it but it was just so beautiful those sections that didn't have snow (laughs) Mm. and so had i gotten there i think like 20 minutes early i would have kept going and picked up the pace more but Mm. it is what it is (laughs) Mm. Mm. all right well so i know you're a big believer in mantras including reminding yourself you'll never get this moment again so savor Mm -hmm. it so i mean it sounds like maybe you pulled that out of your bag of tricks when you got to that lush part of the Mm -hmm. the trail but were there other times i mean sounds like you you probably had to dig (laughs) pretty deep and (laughs) any words you could yeah (laughs) yeah i think because i knew going into this race that i was gonna have to really push it just personally to get to the end because overall you have to run an 18 minute pace and then that includes stops that includes you know going to the bathroom whatever and so I knew you know and also that includes climbs very steep climbs in the sense and so I knew I was going to be pushing it from the get-go so it was once the snow just like kept going and kept going and I couldn't run because it was too slippery I was just like okay I don't I don't see this ending very well so I was just kind of savoring the miles that I did have out there, even though I was cursing, <laughs> cursing the snow with every step, I was still trying to savor it because you're out there. You get to be on this incredibly historic course, running with all of these amazing people on the 50th anniversary. And that in itself, I was just so grateful to be there. 
So let's backtrack a little bit to your training for the Western States. Mm-hmm. So will you share with us about the ways you loved your body? You you put up a beautiful Instagram post describing all the ways you loved your body in this training. So tell us a little more about that. Yeah. So back when, like I mentioned, I had more of an unhealthy relationship with food and then I was under eating things that I would do very, very often was not eating while running because I wanted to feel as skinny as possible running. And that went on for years, I would say. I just wouldn't fuel during during runs. I would hardly fuel during races because I just wanted to feel that 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 fitness, you know, I guess on the inside and outside. But for training for Western States, like you I just couldn't do that. With the amount of miles and the hours that I was putting in every week and knowing that I wanted to build fitness, probably more fitness than I've ever built before because I needed to for this race and because of all the climbing that was needed, I, I had to fuel. I had to fuel during a run. I had to fuel before, which was something I also never never did, um, eating breakfast before going running. I used to only run fasted, which nothing wrong with running fasted, but for me, it just it was just adding on to the unhealthy relationship I had with food. And so I, it was something that I more than ever learned to do was eat before a run, during a run, eating right after to recover properly. And um, I would say that was one of the big ways that I learned to love my body. I also took rest days, which was something that I, I guess, felt guilty of doing before. But during this training cycle for Western States, I didn't. <laughs> I savored those rest days. I had my feet up. I was eating all the foods because I was also recovering from probably a hard day or hard weekend before. And so just savoring and having no guilt of taking a rest day was also a a big thing for me. I guess those are some of the ways that I learned to love my body specifically during this this training cycle. Mm -hmm. And then I guess also too, just you're seeing all these these very fit people running the Western states. And I see see people online um, on social media posting about it and it was hard not to compare myself to those people who I was seeing who were also going to be running this race and probably running a faster time than me. But I had to learn that this was my race and I was going to run it my way. And I was going to do my very best, no matter what I looked like going into the race or, or while I was training for the race. And it was a learning to look at myself and, and love my body, knowing that it was fully capable of running this race. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that's a message a lot of us can learn from that, that, you know, there's only going to be one winner out there, whether it's the, yeah. you know, the 4th of July 5k you're doing or the Chicago marathon or Western state 100. So yeah. Wow. Wow. <laughs> and does it help to have, you know, you've mentioned your partner, Scott, who's, um, mm-hmm. I, I came in 15th, did he at Western yeah, states? He yeah. Did. And I know he's finished higher than that as well. And years mm-hmm. past, I mean, do you learn a lot from him? Does it feel like you are part of a community by having him there? I mean, how does it help or hurt you to have a partner who's so enmeshed in the trail running scene? Yeah, I think it helps a lot because I I think because it's so funny because we represent just very different uh, people in the trail and ultra running, just running scene. He's very fit. He's very fast. Um, I think his best marathon time is like a 229. Mm-hmm. And then his best 100 mile time is like, I don't know, it's like a 13 or 14 hour or something. Mm-hmm. It's very fast. <laughs> and my fastest 100 mile is uh, like 
24 hours and my fastest marathon is, uh, what was it? 3.55. So while we represent two opposite, you know, parts of like a marathon course, him being the front, me being representing the back, there are so many similarities in our training too. And, you know, how we ate before, during, or after the run, the amount of time that we spent going for a run. He trains based on hours and, and or time on feet, and so do I. And so on Saturday, for instance, we would both go to our favorite training place, which was Mount Ord. It's about 50 minutes outside of Phoenix. And it's great because it's this forest service road that just goes straight up and then straight down. And so we would do outbacks on that. And we would both have, you know, four hours on the calendar that day. And so we would drive out there and we got in very different mileage in those four hours. But it was great to see that, you know, no matter where we fall on that spectrum of being a front of pack runner or a backpack runner, we're still putting in that same amount of work. And it was inspiring to me and motivating to me to have that partner to either keep the motivation up or keep inspiring me and, and me doing the same for him too, I'm sure. So I don't know, I, I found it very helpful to have someone who was also doing this race and who had knowledge of the race too, because um, I crewed him last year there with me along this journey. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, it looks like you all have a lot of fun at races. Yeah, we do. <laughs> we like them to be the celebration of the training. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. So tell us about Rising Hearts, what the foundation is and your involvement with it. Yeah, so Rising Hearts is an Indigenous-led organization. Jordan, she's wonderful, started the organization. And what they do is they raise voices for Indigenous people and they create opportunities for others to either run races or be involved in something that they want to. It's probably a very vague description, but (laughs) Rising Hearts, they just do so much for the community and and for Indigenous peoples. And also just in advocating diversity and inclusivity, which is something uh, that became the thread between Rising Hearts and me, because I like to say I'm an advocate for body positivity and inclusivity and diversity. And so through Rising Hearts and with Goo, I was able to run Western States through a sponsorship with them. Mm -hmm. Nice. So it seems some races are finally doing land acknowledgements before the start of a race. And Mm -hmm. so what else, what else would you like to see race organizers and and runners themselves doing to show respect for indigenous peoples and, and to promote inclusivity in the running community? Yeah, I think it's very simple. And Western States did a great job of that. Not just at the training camp, but at the race, they hosted a land acknowledgement and a land blessing um, before the actual race to just give awareness of the land that runners are going to be running on and running through and with. And I think that can be very powerful and motivating as you're you know, about to embark on the training camp run that they hosted in May or the actual race that they hosted was that a week and a half ago, two weeks ago. <laughs> and it gives you perspective into the history of the land, the indigenous peoples who are still on that land and still caring for it. And it's a great history lesson, too, to learn about the, the place that you're running and to know, you know, the people who are there still are there. And I think Western States did a great job because they they led that. And then they also, you know, fostered this partnership with Rising Hearts to bring more people into the race who might not have the opportunity otherwise. I think it, it can be very simple as that for other race directors across the country to give awareness to the people who are from that community or the tribes who are caring for 
that land or that area, I think it can be a very simple but very powerful relationship that race directors or race companies could do. All right, Callie. Well, we can't let you go without talking about Goo Energy Labs. Um, yes. Big big friend of yours, <laughs> big friend of ours. And I know you are a big fan of Goo Energy products. And I love how you've talked during our conversation here about how you've learned the importance of fueling you know, before you go running, while you're out there, all that stuff. So talk to us about how you use Goo's various products, whether it's a workout or a race. Yeah. So prior to using goo i was just kind of i would say i was feeling just kind of like all willy-nilly like no strategy no plan just whatever sounded good at the time not knowing how many calories i was putting in the sodium any of that and that's probably what led to a lot of uh stomach issues but thanks to goo and their partnership with western states but also for the future too i've learned that specifically for me that liquid calories are a game changer it's very easy to drink when it's 110 degrees outside in Phoenix or even, you know, 70. But it's not always easy to chew, especially when you're just tired of chewing, you know, 30 <laughs> miles into a race or an hour into a race. And so I, I found that liquid calories work ridiculously well. <laughs> and so it's it's also just made it so easy, too, because I don't have to think about, have I got enough carbs? Am I getting enough sodium? All that stuff, because with Goo Roctane specifically, it's like, nope, I've already got it. 250 calories an hour, 60 grams of carbs, all the sodium, check, check, check. And so what I do is I bring a full serving of the Goo Roctane, which is at 250 calories, and I split it between two bottles, especially if it's very hot. So uh, I'd be what, like a liter of water an hour, and then I'll supplement with their chews. So if I do want something a little on the side, then I uh, go for some of their chews. And I love the salted lime. I was eating a lot of those during training because it's got a little extra salt. And also mm-hmm. it tastes like Gatorade. <laughs> and I just <laughs> loved it so much. So I always have chews in my hydration vest, but even more so I always fuel now with Goo Roctane because it's like, I don't even have to think about fueling. I just have to sip on my bottles or my bladder and I'm good to go. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. It seems like you and your hydration vests are best friends. Oh my gosh. We're so best friends right now. <laughs> it's, it's got all the salt on the outside of it, which means that our, our relationship is very strong right now. <laughs> <laughs> A little extra loofah against uh-huh. uh, Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so then what's next on your race calendar? Yeah. So I've got, let's see, on my personal race calendar, I've got two, but before that, we're going to be heading out to Colorado soon for Scott. He's going to be running the Leadville 100 in August. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then this Thanksgiving, I think November 23rd or around that that weekend, I'm going to go after, as of now, uh, an FKT here mm-hmm. in Arizona. And it's a 230-ish mile loop. And it's nice because it's pretty close to home. So why not? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love the 200-mile distance. I, I just find them so... Sounds so bonkers, but so therapeutic. (laughs) So I'm very intrigued to go after this and just kind of enjoy the journey and the experience and training for it too. And then after that, in December, I'm going to run the 48 hour distance at Across the Years, which is hosted by Aravipa. So I promise I will let you go after this. When you say that the the 200 mile distance is therapeutic, is that because of its tie to your the amount you? weight you lost or is it something else is about some barrier that you break through by going that long i think for me because of how far it is it demands that you go through so much emotionally and i think 
because there is that possibility of failure because it is so long. It just, it gives you so much to work through. And I don't mean that in some like deep metaphorical way, but like you literally have to (laughs) troubleshoot as you're going like, oh no, my pole broke. Like, what do I do? Or, oh no, my stomach didn't like that. Or, oh no, I hurt, I don't know, a toe or something. There can be all these little things you have to work through. And so being able to problem solve and get those boosts of motivation along the way because you problem solved it. I don't know. I find it to be that accomplishment that motivates me even more. And I don't know, there's a lot of time out there. So it gives you a lot of time to think about. (laughs) (laughs) Think about anything. (laughs) So maybe that's where the therapy comes in. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's been a pleasure talking with you, Callie. Thanks so much. And we wish you all the best in all your upcoming endeavors. Awesome. Yes. Thank you so much for having me and loved having having the chat. Oh my goodness, Liz. All right. Well, does talking to Callie, does that make you hanker to take on an ultra marathon? Absolutely not. (laughs) She described it beautifully and I adore her journey that she's been on. And as a coach, I have so many athletes getting into ultra running. And it's a really intriguing endeavor because there's not a lot of research on it. And it's still kind of a wild west, which I think appeals to people. Um, But no, I'm going to stick to my 75 minutes as my longest run. Mm. All right. Okay. (laughs) All right. Well, uh, how about come running with us on Hilton Head Island, November 3rd through 6th. That's the date of our next running retreat. And we bring in guest presenters, lead group runs on the flat, hard packed beach. We eat delicious meals, do yoga, make loads of new friends, sit around, I don't know, fire pits and chit chat and laugh. And it's all done with a front row seat of the Atlantic Ocean from our host hotel, the aptly named Beach Hotel. Hilton Head may be our last retreat for the foreseeable future as we're debating pressing pause on our retreats for a bit. So if you've ever contemplated attending an AMR retreat now, now folks, now is the time to register. So go to anothermotherrunner.com, click on events on the top navigation bar to find all the details and to register. Again, go to anothermotherrunner.com, click on events at the top of the homepage. Our podcast today was produced in St. Paul, Minnesota by Barry Medore from Fire on the Bluff. right? No, once you're out, you're out. You can't re-enter the circle. Or should I? Now I feel rude. I think I should hold on. Mean girl moment here. You can't get back in. I don't know what you want, Callie. What do you, what do you want, Callie? I was like, I'm not going to let her back in. I'm like, I think she's butt dialed us.